and those kids who are at home, we can hear you today too. So I want you to interact with us also. My first question to, for you today has to do with this movie Home Alone. Who here has ever seen the movie Home Alone? Raise your hands. It ought to be everybody. If it's not, then you tell your parents that Pastor Ford gives you permission to watch Home Alone, okay? Because it is awesome. It is awesome. Okay, now I got a question for you. At the beginning of the movie Home Alone, who can remember what it is that Kevin wished for? Does anybody remember, Jeffrey? He wished no mom or dad or anything. He wished his family would go away, didn't he? That's a crazy wish. But what happened as a result of Kevin's wish? You might remember? That's right. He, he woke up in the morning and it was all alone. It was like his wish had come true, right? There was no family left. And that was fine for, uh, for a minute or two. Who, who knows what Kevin did right away? He ate so much sugar. He watched movies that he probably shouldn't have been watching. He jumped on mom and dad's bed with popcorn. He stayed up late eating ice cream. He did all kinds of things that, that seemed like fun at first, but, but pretty quickly it stopped being fun, didn't it? And after a while, he really began to miss his family, and eventually it even got a little bit scary, didn't he? And guys, that's kind of what we're going to talk about today, uh, this morning in our sermon, about being separated uh, from our family. And so during the sermon, I've got a couple of questions that I want you to think about that you can kind of engage with on the activity sheet if you have one or if you're at home. And the question is this, one, how do we lose our family? So listen in the sermon and see if you can figure out how it is that we get separated as a family. And then the second question is, what does Jesus do on the cross uh, to help us get them back again, okay? How does what Jesus did on the cross help us get our families back again? Sound good? All right. Well, church, in the spring of 2018, the United States government began a zero-tolerance approach to our immigration laws, which led to what became known as the family separation policy. Anybody remember this debacle? Under the policy, uh, whenever a family entered the United States illegally on the southern border, federal authorities would separate the children and their and the infants uh, from their parents or from their guardians. And the adults would be prosecuted and either held in federal prisons or be deported. And the children were uh, held and, and kept under the supervision of the Department of Health and Human Services. It has been reported that in total, there were more than 4,000 children who were separated from their parents during the enforcement of this policy. Now, as news of this uh, policy began to become public, and as images of small children being isolated in detention centers began circulating, the, the outrage came fast and furious, both from religious and from secular organizations, both from within the United States and from around the world. The policy was resolutely condemned as being both cruel to families and as dangerous to children because separating a child from their parents it causes severe and lifelong harm to a child's development and well-being. It's not the way it was created to be. Kids are, are to be with their parents. They need to be with their parents, not away from them. 
And so as public pressure mounted, the president eventually signed an executive order ending the policy of family separations, but not before great harm had been done. In the aftermath of this catastrophe, it came to light that the government had no plans for how to reunify families uh, at the end, at the appropriate time. And the government also failed to uh, provide the necessary resources to try and do so. The effect of which has meant that as of just a few short months ago, nearly three years after the fact, there are more than 600 children who remain separated from their parents in the custody of the U.S. government with no known way for how to ever reunite them back together again. Can you imagine how destructive that is for these children? Can you imagine how devastating it is for their parents? My heart breaks to even imagine the pain and the suffering that all of this has caused. And it's, it breaks even more to realize that, that this could actually happen in our country under our watch. It's difficult to accept. And while it was encouraging to see the world come together to condemn this act of separation as cruel and evil, which it was, and as something that should be immediately stopped and reconciled, which it should, there's another type of family separation that is taking place, which much of the world seems completely unaware of and unbothered by. It is a policy of family separation that has been in effect for as long as human beings have walked the earth. And it is a policy that has had an effect on every one of our lives, with far greater damage done than anything that might have happened to the children on our borders in recent years. And that's what we're going to talk about today as we continue our series on the cruciality of the cross. This morning, we're looking at the problem of our separation from God our Father. And we're considering how Christ's work upon the cross was essential in reconciling a broken family back together again. Because the reality is, is that our sin is the original family separation policy with zero tolerance enforcement. When we sin, the effect of our sin is that it creates a barrier between us and God. Every single time that we transgress one of God's laws, it creates a distance between us and our Father in heaven. This has been true all the way back to the very first sin that was ever committed. When Adam and Eve ate the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God had commanded them not to eat from, when they committed that, that very first sin, immediately a separation occurred. Rather than enjoying and delighting in the company and the fellowship of God, which they had always done before up to that point, walking with God in the garden in the coolness of the day, after they sinned, they hid themselves from God. In the shame and the fear of their guilt, they didn't want to be in God's presence any longer. And so rather than running towards God, which they were created to do and which they had always done and, and which God wants them to do. Instead, they ran away from God. Sin had created a barrier. It separated the very first family, parent, from children. The same was true for Adam and Eve's firstborn son, Cain, 
who after he sinned by killing his brother Abel, fled from the presence of God in order to settle elsewhere. It was an attempt to create distance, to to get away from the presence of God. The sin-induced policy of family separation continued. And just like our first parents and their first child, humanity has been trying to flee from God ever since then. Like the prophet Jonah, often running in the exact opposite direction from where God would have us go in order to try and get away from Him. We see this played out in our culture more and more and more in, in, in obvious ways as the days go by. As people are living with a, a total disregard for God and for His ways and for His created order. I mean, if you read God's Word and then you look at what is happening in our world, it's almost as if we are trying to do the exact opposite of what God has instructed us to do. The Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans says that people are inventing new ways of doing evil the further and further and further we run away from God. And what initially began as fear and and distrust in the garden eventually gave birth to full-blown enmity between humanity and God in the world. To the point that Paul describes all people as, as having been alienated from and hostile, hostile towards God. He says that in our sin, we are God's enemy, adamantly opposed to Him and to His ways. Our sin is a family separation policy because it causes us to flee from the presence of God our Father. And what's so insidious about sin is that it doesn't just cause us to put up barriers against God, It also causes God to create a barrier towards us. And I know that's not a popular idea, even in many churches. And it's not an image of God that we like to have. But John Stott, in his book, The Cross of Christ, states that it is a mistake to think that the barrier between us, between God and us, was entirely on our side, so that we needed to be reconciled and that God did not. He says, it's true, we were God's enemies, hostile to Him in our hearts, but the enmity was on both sides. The wall or the barrier between God and us was constituted by both our rebellion against Him and by His wrath upon us on account of our rebellion. Now, let me be very clear here, because this is really important for our understanding of of who God is and of His love for us. And when God creates this barrier, uh, uh, this separation, the barrier between us and Him because of our sin, it is not being done as a punitive measure, but as a protective one. God is not trying to punish us and to make us to suffer through this separation and, and His wrath towards us, but He's trying to protect us from His wrath towards our sin. And so we need to realize that this distance that God creates is for our good. But we also need to realize that God hates our sin, that He abhors that which uh, destroys His good creation. He hates what sin does to you and what it does to your relationship with Him. And He's determined to deal with it in order that He might restore all that has been broken. 
And so God is committed to destroying evil in the world. The problem for us is that in our turning away from God and from His good ways, we have all committed sin. We have all embraced evil. And so God in His goodness and mercy creates distance so that His wrath towards sin isn't poured out upon those who commit that sin. And we see this goodness and the protection of God in in creating separation and space between us and Him over and over and over again in the Scriptures, right from the very beginning. After Adam and Eve sinned, God drove them out of the Garden of Eden and and placed an angel at the entrance to the garden, guarding the way back to the presence of God and to the tree of life. God did not want His children to live in a state of fallenness and rebellion and death forever. And so He removed them from His immediate presence and from having access to the tree of life. Hard as it was, And with as much suffering as we have experienced as a result of it, it was a gracious and merciful separation. In the forming of the people of Israel as His people, we see this separation embodied in a number of ways. One of the most obvious was in the ministry of the prophets and the priests, where rather than talking and communicating directly with His children as He had done before there was sin, Now, God interacted and spoke with His children only through the use of intermediaries. God would speak to Moses, and then Moses would speak to the people. Later, with the priesthood, it was Aaron and his sons who would minister before God on behalf of the people. Eventually, it became the prophets of the Old Testament who would hear from God and then speak God's words to His people. But never did God interact directly with His children because he wanted to protect them from his wrath towards their sin. And he says this very directly in a number of occasions. In Exodus chapter 19, God had Moses set limits around Mount Sinai and warned the people not to touch the mountain or else they would die. It was only Moses and Aaron who could go onto the mountain and up towards the presence of God. In Exodus chapter 33, God warned the people that if for a single moment he should go among them, He would consume them because they were a stiff-necked people. He told Moses that no man, no living man can see the face of God and live. The holiness of God would consume the sinfulness of man. In our sinful state, we need that separation. Perhaps the most profound example of this separation and the lack of God's direct interaction with His children it is, it was in the construction of the tabernacle and eventually in the temple, where at the center of their place of worship was what was known as the Holy of Holies. This was the, the innermost chamber of Israel's sanctuary, and it was the place where God's presence dwelled. The room was marked off by an ornate curtain that was said to be as thick as a man's hand. It was a visual reminder of the separation that was necessary between God and man. The Holy of Holies was a room that was so sacred, it was so set apart, that that it could only be entered by one specific person, the high priest. And it could only be entered on one specific day, the Day of Atonement. This was such a significant day that a man would go into the presence of God. And, and it was such a, there was such a danger of entering into the presence of God that, that was so real that the high priest would wear bells on his being, 
presumably as a way that, that the people outside could know that he was still alive when he was on the inside. If the bells were ringing, he was alive. If the bells stopped ringing, there may be a problem. Later Jewish writings suggested that sometimes the, the high priest would have a rope tied around his ankle so that if the bell stopped ringing and he perished in the Holy of Holies, they could drag him out uh, from the presence of God without somebody else having to enter into the presence of God. The Holy of Holies and the, the curtain that separated it became the permanent reminder for the people of God that their sin had created a barrier between them and their God. This is what sin does. It causes us to separate ourselves because we do not want to be in God's presence. And it causes God to separate Himself in order to protect us from His presence. It is as the prophet Isaiah wrote in our Old Testament reading from this morning, that our iniquities have made a separation between us and God, and our sins have hidden His face from us sin is the original and it is the ultimate zero tolerance family separation policy it has caused us to be separated from our father in heaven and it has caused god to be separated from his children on earth and in a way that is far worse than for any of the children who experience separation from their parents on our borders the effects of this separation is indescribably terrible for all of God's creation. For this separation uh, has done total and left to ourselves, it has done irreparable damage to the physical and emotional and spiritual health of all of humanity. We have to just take a cursory glance around our world to see that as a species, <laughs> we are not doing very well in this separated state from our Heavenly Father. For in every way that God has intended for us to live and in everything that He intended for us to experience, we are basically seeing the opposite being played out. Instead of following His ways for our good, we insist on going our way to our own destruction. And as a result, instead of trust, we experience fear. Instead of peace, we suffer from anxiety. Instead of close, intimate companionship, we live lonely and isolated lives. Instead of having plenty, we suffer from want. Instead of experiencing joy, we experience sadness. Instead of having health, we are stuck with sickness. Instead of fullness of life, we experience an emptiness in life. Instead of knowing our direction and our purpose, the reason that we were created for, we find life confusing and oftentimes meaningless. Instead of knowing who we are and whose we are, we often search for identity and for belonging in places where those things could never be satisfactorily found. Instead of loving our neighbor as ourselves, we often love ourselves at the expense of our neighbor. Instead of compassion, we experience harshness. Instead of hope, we find despair. Instead of life, we face death. This separation is the root cause of every problem that we experience in the world. As a result of our sin, rather than running towards our Heavenly Father and living in light of everything that is right and good and true and perfect and beautiful, we run away from our Father in Heaven and end up, as Paul describes in the letter to the Ephesians, without God and without hope. 
What a sad and desperate state. But that is the devastating consequence of sin. It leaves us without God, and it leaves us without hope. You know, in Home Alone, (laughs) Kevin had fun for a few minutes when he was first separated from his parents. And sin can do that. There is a fleeting pleasure to sin that makes it seem desirable, that entices us, that can feel like fun for a moment. But that high wears off so quickly. And that crash is so deep and devastating. And the reality is is that our lives are not like the movies. We're being left by ourselves to fend for ourselves against evil in the world that we can find a way to overcome. Our lives aren't a comedy where we can win the day. Instead, left to ourselves, it is always a tragedy where we are separated. When we are separated from our Father in heaven, we lose every time. Our sin creates a barrier between us and God, which we have no way to overcome And it has wreaked havoc in the world and in our lives. But, (laughs) it's always good to wait for the but. (laughs) Because whenever you read your scriptures or whenever you hear a sermon after the but, there is always good news. And the good news of the gospel is that unlike our nation's family separation policy, in which we had no plan for how to reunify families together, and we were unwilling to pay the cost in order to try, Our God did have a plan to reconcile lost children to their heavenly Father. And He was willing to pay every cost in order to do so. And that is what He has done in Christ, in the cross of Christ. For this is one of the most significant aspects and accomplishments of the work of atonement. That by bearing our sin upon Himself, Christ took that which had separated us from our Father in heaven, and He did away with it once and for all time upon the cross. So that as a result, we no longer need to run and to hide from God in shame and fear over our guilt, because our guilt has been forgiven in Christ. Our shame and fear are gone. And God no longer needs to protect us from His presence and from His wrath towards sin because His wrath has been satisfied upon the cross of Christ. It has been dealt with and it is gone. And as a result, we can come into the presence of God unafraid and unashamed. And God can welcome us fully into His presence without any offense at our sin. Because of Christ's work on the cross, we have been reconciled to God our Father. We, we see this reconciling work, this reconciling language used again and again in the Scriptures. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. In Romans, he writes that while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. To the church in Ephesus, he says that in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The Apostle Peter, in his first letter to the church, writes that Christ suffered once for all sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. All of this is the language of reconciliation, of restored relationship, of a return into one another's presence. What sin had done, creating a barrier between humanity and their Father in heaven, 
God in Christ has undone by putting sin to death in the cross. And one of the most powerful images of this undoing um, was illustrated in our gospel reading from Mark this morning. When at the very moment where Jesus died, at the very moment where the penalty for our sin had been paid, at the very moment where our guilt was removed, at the very moment where God's wrath towards our sin was satisfied, at the very moment when Christ's work upon the cross was finished, the curtain in the temple, which for thousands of years had separated the presence of God from the presence of man, which for thousands of years had been a visible representation of the barrier that existed between God and His children, which for thousands of years had denied the people of God free and full access into the presence of God. At the moment when Jesus died, that curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. It was a work of God's. It began at the top and it came to us top to bottom. The barrier of God was removed. Access to His presence was granted. And in our reading from Hebrews, we heard the results of this, that we can now have confidence to enter into holy places because of the blood of Jesus. We can once again come into the presence of God, not afraid, not ashamed, but boldly and with confidence in order to get from our good Father the things that we need. Because of what Jesus did upon the cross, there is now a new and a living way open for us to find access to God so that we can draw near to Him in full assurance of our faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We no longer need to stand at a distance, church. We no longer need an intermediary to communicate on our behalf. We no longer need a barrier to keep us safe. With the same freedom that a small child has as they run into their parents' arms with total abandon and not a thought in the world that they would ever be blocked from entering into the fullness of love and joy and acceptance and embrace from their parents so we can recklessly run back to our Father in heaven. And all of the things that we suffered as a result of our distance and our separation from God, we can begin to find once again in His presence. We can experience the love and the trust and the peace and the joy and the health and the fullness of life that we were created to know. This completely undoes the sad state of our world. For rather than being without hope and without God, we can now be with God and full of hope in Him. Church, these are the two things that our world needs more than anything else. They need to be reconciled to their Father in Heaven, and they need to know the hope that we have in Him. For this is what God offers us through Christ's work on the cross. He has provided a way back. He has paid the cost. He has reconciled us to Himself, and now He's entrusted us with the message of reconciliation to share with the world. We in the church are to be ambassadors for Christ, as if God were making His appeal to the world through us. And so, brothers and sisters, I implore you, on behalf of Christ, to be reconciled to God. Return to Him through repentance, over and over 
and over and over again. As often as you take a step away in your sin, return to Him fully and freely and with confidence in your repentance, for He beckons you back. He will always welcome you back with open arms. And I implore you also, church, on behalf of Christ, to share this good news with others. That in the cross of Christ, God has made an end to sin's policy of family separation. And that whatever might have kept someone away from God in the past, whatever shame, whatever guilt, whatever fear, whatever enmity that may have existed between anyone and God, it has been dealt with and it has been put away in the cross. God longs to have His children back home. He is literally dying to have them back. And so let us share this good news that there is life and there is hope when the children of God are reunited with their Father in heaven. May we share this good news and live this good news for God's glory and for our good. Amen. Each moment here at Redeemer, uh, each Sunday after we've preached the Word of God, we take just a moment to rest in that Word and to allow uh, the Spirit of God to speak to the people of God, however He would speak to you this day. And so in these moments of quiet that follow, uh, listen to the voice of the Lord and what He would say to you this day. Amen.